0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for May 12, 2021. And oh my God, what a week. Uh, so if you listen to our DC spotlights, you'll know that was like a two hour and 26 or 28 minute spotlight because there were so many DC books this week. And it's the same with Marvel and Independent. There are so many... Books. Jay and I were talking about it, Um, so we're covering a lot here. Uh, Jay's got like six books to talk about. I probably have like ten I could talk about. So we'll see. I mean, you can if you're if I do if I do decide to put the video up, you'll see my background, which has like I don't know sixteen books on it. So it's going to be a long one, everybody. So buckle in uh, for the ride, and we're going to kick it off uh, with Black Cat number six. It's from writer Jed McKay. Art is by Michael Dowling. Colors are by Brian Reber. Letters by Farron Delgado. And uh, I, I want to get into this book. I just haven't had time to go, to go back and read the first few issues. Uh, so give us your thoughts on this one, Jay.
1: All right. Well, from the last issue, we see that uh, Black Cat had a plan to rob the Guild, and she had Fox help him out. Well, at the very end of the last episode, she he kind of betrayed her, but she saw it coming because that's the way he is. You find out that he was dying, um, so he makes a deal with the Guild to be to live forever, him and uh, Black Cat. So this whole uh, new issue just deals with her trying to figure out how she's going to try to get out of this deal because she doesn't like the deal at all. She doesn't want, she doesn't want to have that to live forever. And the, the price it's no spoiler. Cause I said in the last issue, it was Manhattan. He gave up Manhattan to live forever. So now Manhattan's going through a bunch of ordeal and stuff. And uh, it's kind of funny They have a little thing with Spider Man's asking her, Hey, you know what's going on? And she's like, well, I don't know. She's like, okay, well, thanks. And he goes away. But she has to go back to the original guild to try to figure out what the plan they don't give you the plan to the uh to the next uh issue, I'm, I'm assuming, but it was fun and uh it's interesting because you know that he was gonna back uh backstab her, just didn't know how. But he also gave her internal life, that was the deal, but she doesn't want it,
0: yeah. What about the art? So that, that was one of the things. The art, it's everything is very like smooth looking, it's very yeah, there's, smooth, no, there's, also,
1: there's, no, there's no lines, like that's all like uh like an airbrush, I guess you would say, yeah, but there's no almost, clean, clean lines.
0: Well, usually I like clean art, but this looks almost too clean. I mean, do do you like the art style?
1: Um, I guess you get used to it. I just have been reading the series from the get-go, so I guess never, it never really bothered me, I guess.
0: All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it just it's just something I noticed. I was like, oh, my God, this art is – it just has a strange uh, strange feel to it. So uh, anyway, first book I'm going to talk about, Children of the Atom, number three. It's from writer Vita Ayala. The artist is Paco Medina. Color art by David Curiel. Letters by – Travis Lanham and this was a little bit of a weird one so this has been an interesting series it's about a group of five young mutants and they're almost like the next generation of of the original X-Men right like they all have names uh, that are similar to other X-Men like Angel and Nightcrawler and and Cyclops I think one of them is called like She Cyclops or or something like that And and their powers are sort of similar to that but there's part of the issue that's about them in some catastrophic situation in space. And the rest of it is, and they keep, they call that then. And then there's another story that's taking place in New York city in present time. And it's called now. So I'm not sure where the, like the flashback fits in and where, you know, obviously the now fits in now. Um, and there's a, a couple of pretty big events that, that happen at the end of the book, you know, things that I can't even hint at because they're so spoilery. Um, but it, it made for a little, I don't want to say disconcerting, but it, it, I just I'm not sure how they, they fit together. Um, so, the you know, the first couple issues, obviously, the first one is very much set up uh, in terms of being introduced to the characters and understanding what they want and why they're choosing not to go to Krakoa uh, and kind of, you know, they, they want to be a, a source of protection for any mutants that are still in the United States and have chosen not to go and live on Krakoa. So in that way, they're very heroic, but they're also kind of young and naive and that leads into the decision as well. And then the second issue was a little more characterization and understanding their motivations. And now I feel like with this third issue, we're starting to get into the actual like meat of the story from Vita Ayala. And they're doing a great job of building some, uh, some mystery and building in some questions and building some, tension and some drama and some suspense, uh, like enough where this is the first issue of it that I read where I'm like, okay, I, I really need the next issue right now because there is somewhat of a cliffhanger ending. And the thing that you really get a sense of, and I mentioned it before is kind of the innocence or the naivete that some of these kids have, you know, they they have the best of intentions and they want to think the best and you know they've been through some some stuff already in the world and so there there is a little bit of jadedness but they they have that like exuberance and self-confidence of youth you know where you think you're invulnerable and you're invincible and nothing bad is ever really going to happen to you like that comes across very well uh Vita Ayala is a a very talented writer and they're doing a great job of getting that across you understand the kind of youth and inexperience where they're kind of could possibly be setting themselves up for failure or trauma or pain, or, or, you know, put themselves in a bad situation because they just don't have uh, the experience that may be necessary to, to be this mutant team that they want to be. So um, the art is solid by Paco Medina, you know, clean lines. Uh, I do wish the colors were a little bit brighter. I think that would suit the story a little more, although the flashback um, is colored in a lot of reds and oranges but it makes sense for what's going on in that part of the story. Um, so that, that is, but even that it's not necessarily a bright, um, a bright palette. Um, so the the whole book is a little muted and I just wonder if it might not look better. Um, but maybe that's just my preference. I feel like I say that a lot, like, well, it's a, it's a traditional superhero book. I like the, the colors to be pretty bright. So all in all, it's a solid book. I'm pretty impressed with it. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and, uh, and move on to uh, Jay's next book. I can find it here in front of me. Uh, So it's Silver Coin, number two. uh, And this one is written by Kelly Thompson. We've got uh, the art, the colors, and letters by uh, Michael Walsh. And just a reminder, the Silver Coin is created by a whole whole host of, of creators Who've come together and, and created this concept, and they're all taking turns telling stories in this world. I think there's going to end up being six issues total. So the first one is written by Chip Zdarsky. Second one is by Kelly Thompson. We we also have uh, Ed Brisson and Jeff Lemire to come. So uh, this one's called Girls of Summer, and uh, it it was pretty brutal. I'll let uh, I'll let Jay <laughs> t- I'll let Jay tell you all about it.
1: It was pretty good. Yeah. So it focuses on a, a girl. Her mother calls her Pickles. her Her name is actually Fiona. And uh, she's all excited to go to a summer camp because she likes horror movies and she thinks, okay, it's going to be like this. It's not actually that's uh, the opposite. It's a uh, torture because nobody likes her. I can't give it too much to the story because there's so much action and brutalness going on, like you were saying. So, the ending's good. I just say the ending uh, – with the face was kind of cool it's like okay i think it was kind of a nod to some of the horror movies <laughs> but it always focuses around that coin it, i just i guess it brings out the worst of all these characters that if it, it, uh, it uh it interacts with them I'm, I'm assuming
0: yeah that's so that's what i found to be interesting about the story right so in the, in the first one it was kind of like a monkey's paw right like like uh, in the first issue like you be careful what you wish for there's a price to pay <laughs> right um you know kind of like you, you wish for something and, and the thing takes you literally, you know, like if a smart, a smart ass genie or whatever, you uh, what, what's your wish? I wish for a million bucks and he gives you like a million deer, right? Or something like that. The coin's kind of like that. Like, you know, in the first issue, the guy wanted to, to be a famous rock musician and it by using the coin as his guitar pick, he was like the best guitar player in the world and he was getting all this attention, whatever. But it it consumed him like it became this obsession to where he um, kind of distanced himself from his band and his girlfriend and everything because all he could do was was play music. And the, the coin literally fed on him, like took his physicality and his, his kind of soul and it ended up you know, causing his, his death. So not necessarily bringing out the worst in him, but kind of giving him what he wanted, but in a kind of a diabolical way. What Kelly Thompson does in this story is is totally different. It's almost like Fiona it, – it's almost like the coin comes to life in a way and kind of takes her over. So it's totally it's totally different. And in both instances, I mean it, it kind of doesn't matter the way the first issue ends, whatever fallout there might have been. But you wonder what the fallout might be for Fiona after what happens in, in this. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward does the coin – does it bring out the worst in people? Does it just extract a price from people? Like, are we going to find out more about, like, the origins of this coin? Like, it's, it's fascinating. You can tell any story. It's like Twilight Zone, but all linked by this coin. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. And, and obviously, all the art is going to be um, consistent as well because Michael Walsh does the the art for all of them, so. Yeah, well, I like but, how
1: the, uh, ending shows like how the coin travels. That's <laughs> like yeah. the beauty. That's the beauty of it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's moving on to its next victim. So to speak. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, up next, I'm gonna talk about fantastic four, number 32. A lot of people have been, uh, sort of anticipating this new storyline. Marvel has been kind of hyping it up. It's called bride of doom. That's right. Dr. Doom is getting married, um, so this is part one. It's written by Dan Slott. The art is by R.B. Silva. Colors by Jesus Arbatov. And uh, there's also a backup written by Dan Slott with art by Javier Rodriguez. Um, Joe Caramagna does the letters for both and Mark Brooks does the cover. Um, and it's it's a typical Fantastic Four story with, with Dr. Doom in it, you know? It's got all the uh, kind of the tropes that you would expect and, uh, you, you find out the, the reason that Doom's getting married, and it's certainly not for any kind of romantic feelings or feelings of love or any of that sort of thing. But the reason that I wanted to, to talk about the book is because Dan Slot has something else going on in the background. And I really like that he's doing this because a lot of people – I think a lot of people are going to jump on this, maybe even some speculators, and hopefully they'll take the time to read it. And I've talked before about how Dan Slott does a great job of injecting like family drama and tension in Fantastic Four. And he's got Alicia doing something that really, like the motivations behind it, it's really sketchy. What she's, what she's both, what she's doing is sketchy. The motivations behind it could be sketchy, like understanding why she's doing it. It could have a lot of ramifications and a lot of fallout. And there's just a lot of moving parts and you just, I found myself going, "What? She's doing what? Like, and is she really doing what we think she's doing? Is it her? Is it somebody who's coercing her? Is it somebody who's mind controlling? Like, what the heck is going on? This is the first like hint at something else being, or someone else being behind kind of the the seeds of this family drama that Danslot's been hinting at, where things are going to build to this." boiling point where, you know, who knows if the Fantastic Four, it would not surprise me. Fantastic Four finds out what all these different thoughts and ideas and things that have been going on amongst the family, and they could break up. It would not surprise me at all if this is all heading to Fantastic Four number 50, Fantastic Four no more, the team, you know, everybody's mad at each other, feelings are hurt, and they disband. It would not surprise me at all. Uh, again, this is issue 32, so I could see that playing out over, you know, a longer arc, 18 issues, uh, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And then, obviously, we're getting the Doom stuff and the Bride stuff, and that's the surface thing. But what's interesting me more in this book right now is the uh, the subplots, and we even got some of it, even in the, the uh, what, what was it, the uh, King in Black, I think that was what the event was called, the King and Black event, where Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm were, uh, they were nullified and they were talking to Reed, like saying the most horrible things like Reed, you don't care about us, Reed, you, you know, we do everything for you. You, you, you depend on us to protect you and protect the family or whatever, but you, you know, your research is more important. You don't really care about us. And, and like all this horrible stuff. And then at the end, after thing is not nullified anymore, he, he goes to read, he's ah, oh, you know, I didn't really mean those things and blah, blah, blah. But read smart enough to know there was a seed of truth in what Ben Grimm was saying. So even when Dan Slott had to, and you could tell, cause it was only, it was the first half of the issue it was the tie-in and the second half had, no, had nothing to do with other than that conversation. So like a lot of the King and black tie-ins, you could tell it was like shoehorned in there. They didn't really want to have to do it, but even then he managed to make it work for this family drama. So yeah, if you're digging uh, classic Fantastic Four family drama kind of stuff, Dan Slott's been killing it on that book. So I do recommend uh, checking it out. So, uh, all right. Well, next book Jay's going to talk about is uh, a creator-owned. It's called Time Before Time. It's co-written by uh, Declan Chalvey and Rory McConville. Joe Palmer is the artist. Chris O'Halloran is the colorist. And Hassan Otsman Elhau does the letters and uh, I'm always a sucker for a time travel story, but I'm, I'm curious what you thought about it, Jay.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I, don't really do a lot of time travel stories, but it just caught my interest, you know, time before time. I was like, okay, you got me. It's interesting because, um, there's a lot of questions um, that don't really get answered. more, uh, no, nothing gets answered in this whole first series, the first book, because you want to know where they get the time machine from, who's actually controlling it, and all that. But it focuses on Ron, one main character, uh, Tatsu. I think I'm saying this right. I said Tatsu, and he works for the Syndicate, and they're the ones that uh, re like a relocation program. But of course, it's you know controlled by the Syndicate. You know, no, no, no spoiler there. It says that in the, in the opening, but um, he has a plan to try to. People that do this uh, time traveling end up getting hurt or their bodies start falling apart. So no matter how far you think you get ahead because you owe the syndicate, the the money, the machines break down. So now you owe them more money to repair the machine. So it's a a vicious circle. So he just wants to get out of it. And him and his best friend come up with a plan to try to get away from it all. But the ending is kind of cool because you find out it doesn't work like they think. And he has to come up with his own uh, way to do it. But there's just like, I can't really, it's so much going on in there. And there's so many other characters and so many questions, but uh, I'm hooked. It's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. And it's one of these things where when things do go sideways, you just think, oh, well, it's a time travel story. You can just, you can go back and fix things. Well, they, they put the kibosh on that right away. Like the,
1: yeah, they tell you, no, you can't the do writers, that. <laughs> Yeah. The writers
0: do say, yeah, time, it's not, you can't like something, no matter what you try to go back and change, something will happen that prevents you from actually changing it. So yeah, you can you could go back and and yeah like like Jay said this criminal syndicate like you pay them a bunch of money and they'll go stash you in the past. You go live in the past. So if you're, somebody's after you, abusive husband or you know one guy killed a bunch of people and the law's after him and they just you pay all this money and they go and relocate you, you know far in the past. They also have people that pay them money to go into the future and get things that haven't been invented yet, like medicines and whatnot. Um, so it's a great, it's a, it's a cool concept, but yeah, there's a lot we don't know, like where the time travel pods come from and like all this other kind of, kind of stuff. And it does have some, like a cliffhanger ending where the plan that, uh, Tatsu and, and his, his buddy Oscar, I think. Yeah. Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have this plan to kind of stop basically spending their lives working for the man and kind of have some freedom and when it goes completely sideways, you think, okay, well, now is going to have to do it on his own. And before he even has a chance to do that, then even more crap happens. And he's, yeah, like, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea where the story is going to go, but it's, yeah, it's super interesting. So got a little bit of that sort of Bill and Ted's feel.
1: Yeah, I'm interested. I'll, I'll yeah. look for the next book. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I say Bill and Ted's in, in when you're talking about like time travel but your time travel device gets destroyed and then you're just, what are you you just hopping through time indiscriminately? Like what's going on? I'd love it. I probably won't happen, but I'd love it if they did give a shout out to Bill and Ted and the way that they fix the pod is to chew a bunch of bubble gum and hold some pieces together. (laughs) Like in Bill and Ted, the first one where they fixed (laughs) the antenna with bubble gum. Probably won't happen, but it would be cool to see. So, Uh, all right. Well, my next book I'm going to talk about is uh hmm. i guess i'll talk about geiger number two from uh, jeff johns and gary frank john's obviously writing frank handling the art brad anderson does the colors rob lee on letters uh and what's kind of interesting about this uh i don't know how long they're planning on going with this story um it, both issues have been pretty good size like more than 20 pages um and it's interesting the way they're they're pacing it out. We have got a big chunk of story in the first one. We got a big chunk of story in this one. We get a little bit of the past. Um, and and what's so interesting is is the way that it's being told too. Like the first issue started out, and it's it's these two guys out in the wasteland of this post-apocalyptic, you know, post-nuclear war uh, planet Earth, and they're telling the story that's a flashback that's happening for us. You know, that we're learning about it in real time and how that's all going to tie in. And so the story structure is inter- interesting as well. Um, so we get some flashback and, and, and it does allow John's to sort of jump around. But at the end of the last issue, we got introduced to this guy who's sort of the, the king of Las Vegas, which is one of the few sort of sanctuaries and, and kind of clean places where you can go and live. Um, but obviously it's, you know, it's a sort of a, a fascist kind of state. And uh, it's clear that people have to do things they don't want to do and indentured or um, you know, the, the people that are in charge are, are exploiting the, the people that are just trying to survive and live and, and whatnot. Um, but anyway, at the end of the first issue when the, some of the King's men come back to Vegas and they report having seen this, this Geiger, this, the, the guy's last name is Geiger. That's where the name of the series comes from. Um, they call him the glowing man. But anyway, uh, this Tarek Geiger um when the these men come back and report to the king that this this guy's out there a glowing man whatnot and the king he's very young you know he's like a teenager um and he's like "Ah, i'm gonna go out there and vanquish this this shadow man and um you know we'll we'll come out here and and you know I'll, i'll come back as a hero and and whatnot and kind of the uh the I don't know the boisterousness of youth, like I was talking about earlier, right? Like this king believes he can do anything, and he, one of his men says, Oh, it's too dangerous. You shouldn't go out there." Oh, how how dare you? Blah blah blah. <clears throat> well, we don't ac- actually ever see them go out. When this issue starts, again, it's it's a flashback being told. But maybe the guy didn't know the details of of, of what happened out there. So that the, the battle has already happened. We're we're told about it. in 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 kind of uh in passing tangentially and when we do see the king later he's like all jacked up um from having gone out there so it's interesting the way the story is being told because it it's jumping around a little bit um and so that's why i wonder how long it's going to last like if you if it's a creator-owned book and it's selling really well and why would you not just flesh it all out like i'm not sure what johns is doing with this story structure maybe he didn't didn't want to write that battle scene or I don't know, but when you see the King, it is the the art by Gary Frank. I mean, it's Gary Frank art, so super detailed. And like, you can see his face is all jacked up. Like a radioactive hand was placed on his face and, you know, it it messed it up because the the way his face is messed up is in the shape of a hand. So it's a fantastic book. It's really interesting. We're just starting to learn a little more about this world that uh, is obviously infected by, by radiation and contaminated and whatnot. And, we don't yet know why this Geiger, you know, he he goes out in the wasteland and he lives there. He's the only everybody else that goes out in the wasteland. They wear like radiation suits, you know, like the classic yellow suits that you've seen in a hundred movies, Back to the Future or whatnot. And he's out there, um, you know, looks normal, looks human until he starts to kind of use his powers. He starts to glow, um, but he's just out there living in the wasteland. It's like why we don't know yet know how he's able to survive out there. Uh, we don't know much about the world other than Vegas, where we've been um, introduced to. Like I said, and it's it's very much a not a nice place to live. And at the same time, if you're one of the people on the upper echelon and everything's taken care of, then you know it's it, it is Sin City. I mean, we do get the classic phrase: "What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas," and and whatnot. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank can can create comics together for the rest of all time i'd be surprised to see gary frank actually draw something that's not with jeff johns at least for the next few years they they really seem to enjoy working together ever since um batman earth one volume one i feel like they've just been doing project after project together uh obviously doomsday clock and whatnot so uh it's it's just fantastic it's a great story very curious to see what happens next and of course brad anderson is usually the colorist he's the perfect colorist he knows how to get the most out of Gary Frank's detail and line work and yeah I mean there's a reason that this title is selling out like every issue even multiple covers and whatnot which again goes back to and I know these guys aren't trying to be greedy but I just wonder um about that choice to to skip ahead you know with where issue one left and where this issue uh, picks up it's just a just an interesting choice but highly recommend Geiger it's really really good so uh, all right, well let's move on to next book that Jay going to talk about as soon as I can find it. Uh, so Spider Woman number 12 from Carla Pacheco. Art is by Jere Perez, Frank Deramada on colors and Travis Lanham on letters. It's,
1: it's not like this one too. Um, I just like the character, and um, I like how that she went back to her classic uniform because I like the you know just the, the the old suit she has. So this one, uh, she goes to visit one of the uh, from the last episode. She had to fight two brothers. They call themselves the Twin Blades of Toledo, but not the one in Ohio. <laughs> So, the, you find out these blades have some kind of magical, I guess, uh, spell on them, I guess you could say, because I guess uh, one of them kind of uh, tempts uh, Jessica to, to grab it, but she's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that again. But she uh, goes to meet some brother in the prison, and then, yeah, you know, a bunch, I, I don't want to get away with the story, but a lot goes on in the prison. Uh, but the very end, I guess, is the most important part of the whole story, because, uh, you know, there's... Um, in the last episode, uh, her boyfriend was gonna propose to her, but there was a lot going on. She kind of blew him off. And I guess she's kind of taken it from granted always being there to watch the kid while she goes her Spider you know, does her Spider Man thing. Um so the ending is I don't know, it's that's the I guess the most important part, I guess, we're talking about. And it's like the biggest panel. It's like they just kinda say, Okay, one panel, there we go. But I like the story and I I see what happened. I like to see what happens next.
0: Yeah, I mean it goes back to what I've said about the series all along that Carlo Pacheco is really adding to kind of the 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 supporting cast and the background and and really the characterization of Jessica for a character that's been around for so long in the Marvel universe. She's really not a lot of substance to her. And so I feel like this series we're not only getting to know it's not just Spider-Woman, you know, that she's telling the story of like classic amazing Spider-Man stuff or Fantastic Four stuff or you know, Iron Man with Tony Stark or whoever we we get a lot of Jessica's personal life as well as, as we should. But I do agree with you that that scene is is pretty important with her and her boyfriend and whatnot, but it felt like thrown in. It felt like thrown in. There was nothing leading up to it. Like Jessica's busy being Spider-Woman. And then you turn the page and then we get some personal stuff and then you turn the page and we've moved on. There's no, there's no easiness into it or easiness out of it, which maybe that's what Carla wanted to do to have it be so impactful and so abrupt. Um, But yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. It'd be interesting to see what happens next. So uh, well, speaking of uh, personal stuff and Spider-Man next up, I'm going to talk about amazing Spider-Man. There's a special that comes out today. It ends the King's ransom storyline. It's called um, giant size, amazing Spider-Man King's ransom. Number one, it's from the regular Spider-Man writer, uh, Nick Spencer. We have art by Roge Antonio with Carlos Gomez and Z Carlos. Uh, Alex Sinclair does the colors and Joe Caramagna on letters. And this is ending. So here's the thing about Nick Spencer. You know, love the guys writing on things like Morning Glories, where it's long form and he sets up these story arcs that pay off, you know, 50 issues down the line. But he's been doing that with Amazing Spider-Man. And that's one of the things I don't like. I I don't mind a few subplots that take a while to pay off, but you need to end them. Uh, and he's been writing this version of Amazing Spider-Man since it's issue one. And we still haven't resolved the Kindred storyline. And we finally with this special are resolving the storyline with uh, the Kingpin and the life tablet and whatnot. So I, I mean, I'm glad it's, it's coming to an end, but it's not, I mean, it's comics. Nothing ever really ends. So sort of the quest for the life tablet is over, but the ramifications and what Kingpin does with the life tablet, that storyline probably is just getting ready to start. And I got to be honest with you, I'm pretty sick to death of both in Daredevil and in Amazing Spider-Man of the whole Kingpin is mayor of New York thing. It's been going on for years. Guys corrupt as hell. And I understand that corrupt people can be in power for a long time. I mean, that certainly happens in real life, but you would think that in a world with superheroes, that somebody could have gotten his fat ass out of the mayor's office by now because he's a criminal that somebody could have gone and found something and gotten him out of there. Like, I'm just, I'm tired of, it's just not interesting anymore, you know, to have it drag on this long. So uh, well, I'm glad the life tablet part is over and it was pretty fun. Some of the things that happened again, lo- you know, Nick Spencer is definitely playing the long game here and, and, you know, credit t- goes to him for, you know, really committing to certain plot lines for a long time to where people started to to buy in and and kind of believe what he was selling. And then he's, I won't say he pulls the rug out from under us, but, there's a lot that pays off here in this, this issue. So I think if you've been reading amazing Spider-Man, you definitely want to grab this because it finishes up a couple of storylines, plot lines have been going on. Uh, and you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. I was, it, it does pay off some storylines and it harkens back to some classic uh, Spider-Man characters and whatnot. So, but uh, I don't know, I'm ready for the Kingpin to go. Uh, I go back and forth. Sometimes I think, ah, I think Spencer's had a long enough run on Spider-Man. Now we need, we need to get some new blood in there but then he'll come out with a a good issue and I'll be like, no, no, he's, he's, he's still got it. I just, I wish he paced things a little quicker. And I just, I know that's not necessarily, you know, how the guy works. I mean, look at his cap as a Hydra agent, you know, he, there's another storyline where he, you know, dug in and cap was evil or whatever for, for years before it finally paid off. Um, And, you know, we got the true Steve Rogers back and whatnot. Um, So I know that's just how he works. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the nature of kind of the way comics are now, where, you know, usually in an arc, you get most of everything pay off. And I'm not saying that that's what I want because I'm, I grew up reading comics in the 80s or 90s where things took a lot longer. And I do kind of prefer that. But there's got to be a medium. Um, I don't need everything to pay off in six issues and fit in one trade. But I also don't think it needs to take 60 issues. Is there a, is there a medium that we can reach between six and 60? You know, I shouldn't have to read 60 issues over five years of a book in order for it to to pay off. And we still haven't gotten the end of the damn Kindred storyline. Like, oh, my God, drives me crazy. So anyway, I'll get off my uh, my soapbox. Uh, I do think it's it's worth reading, like I said, and uh, pick it up. If you're reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man, for sure, you're definitely going to want to pick that book up. So, Uh, all right. Up next from Jay is Ice Cream Man number 24 called Telethon, written by W. Maxwell Prince. Art is by Martine Morazzo. Colors by Chris O'Halloran. Letters by good old Neon. Uh, So give us your thoughts on this, Jay. Yeah, you haven't been reading them at all, have you? I've not read a single issue of Ice Cream Man. (laughs) No.
1: So the Ice Cream Man in this one is pretty much uh, narrates the storyline. It focuses on a guy named Jerry and the Telethon is for his life. So it's actually pretty... It's sad, but funny at the same time. I guess that's the whole spin on it. But um, everything that's been this guy's life pretty much goes downhill, like a divorce, uh, his job, everything. And pretty much every other panel, you will have uh, the ice cream man saying, please donate so we can save this guy's life. You know, he's, he's miserable, but he'll just shield goose eggs. Nobody's giving money to try to save this poor guy's life. So the ending's uh, you know t- a twisted, but they gave the reason why at the end why uh, there was no money coming in to uh, help this poor guy out. So it's kind of funny, but sad at the same time. And they have a little monologue for him and uh, for a dog that they were trying to save too. <laughs> but I enjoy the stories because that's just the the way the writing style is, and I, I appreciate that. And I you know I like haha ha too. So
0: does the dog get any any donations? <laughs> uh you gotta read it <laughs> okay fair enough Fair enough. uh all right well let me talk about my next book actually before i do i i forgot to mention in that uh in that fantastic four book there's a backup story as well called dual intentions um with doom and reed there's a flashback to when they first met when they were at college and then um uh, with a chess game that that uh, reed sort of wanted to play with with victor von doom and then Years later, in present time, Doom finally agrees to finish playing the, the chess game, but he has an ulterior motive because um, they make a bet on uh, who's going to win the duel and who's going to win the chess game um, so Doom can get something he wants. So that, that was a pretty good story as well. Again, sh- just showing how, how well uh, Dan Slott understands these characters. So, uh, All right, well, the next book I'm going to talk about I'm actually going to cheat here and I'm going to talk about three books at once basically, because all the heroes reborn stuff uh, came out this week. Uh, we got the second issue of the regular series. Plus we got a couple tie-in issues, giving us some background into this heroes reborn world. So the main story um, or the main issue issue two invaders from the negative zone. Jason Aaron is the writer. Dale Keown with yeah. Yeah. Dale Keown does along with Carlos mango does um does the pencils So that's a pretty big treat for, you know, guys like me who were reading comics back in the eighties. Hulk with Dale Keown was awesome. He followed Todd McFarlane on the book and then Pitt, of course. So that was great. Uh, Scott Hanna and Carlos Mango are uh, the inkers on that story. Edgar Delgado is the colorist. And then there's a second story called welcome home soldier, where we saw at the end of the first heroes reborn issue that blade goes to rescue captain America. So Welcome home soldiers, Captain America's alive and awake in this world. Uh, It's also written by Jason Aaron. The pencils are by Ed McGuinness, who did issue one. Mark Morales is the inker. Matthew Wilson is the colorist. And then uh, there's a couple of tie-ins, like I mentioned. Um, So the first one is uh, Hyperion and the Imperial Guard. Um, And it's funny because they actually call it issue 121, even though it's, you know, really issue one. But that's just... uh, to try to basically create the impression that this hero's reborn world has always been right. Like whatever change happened, happened way back in the past. There were no Avengers. So if that were true and this was the world that existed all along, we'd be, you know, way up in number of issues. Um, But anyway, it's, it's called Coda. It's written by Ryan Caddy. Pencils are by Michelle Bandini, Elizabeth D'Amico and Michelle Bandini are the inkers, Eric Senega is the colorist and Corey Petit handles the letters. And then the other tie-in is a, is a Peter Parker book. He didn't become a, the amazing Spider-Man in this world. So it's Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug. It's written by Mark Bernardin, Rafael Della Torre, and Ron Lim handle the pencils. Scott Hanna does inks, Jim Campbell's the colorist, and Ariana Mar is the letters. So the, all three of these books do a good job of establishing the world and fleshing out the world of Heroes Reborn. We were introduced to it in issue one of the Heroes Reborn event. um, And all the questions were raised and nothing that happens in any three of these issues, even give us any hint or clue as to what's going on. Like, we don't know why the Avengers didn't exist. You know, we're told that certain events didn't happen. We see other characters that we know differently. For example, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. They have no superpowers. There is no Fantastic Four. Um, in the the second story, there's sort of a, a backup story in the um, in the Hyperion and and uh, Imperial Guard book that's also written by Ryan Caddy that stars the Star Jammers with art by Stephen Byrne and letters by Corey Petit, um, where Johnny Storm shows up and he's a member of the Nova Corps. So again, we in these Heroes Reborn books, we're getting some hints of of the world like what the world is like right it's all being f- kind of fleshed out and we're seeing where these important characters of the marvel universe are and they're just not in the play. they're not heroes you know they most of them are regular people or they're heroes in a different way tony stark is still selling arms um he's not iron man and and all that sort of thing and um the hyperion and imperial guard book gives us some bios about Hyperion and some of the members of the Imperial guard. Um, and we, we basically, we see what happens in this book that gives us clues to why Hyperion is the way that he is in the main book. He's, he's very much kind of a, a gun ho uh, America first kind of superhero. You know, he's kind of like, uh, if, if anybody's familiar with the boys on Amazon, kind of like the Homelander, not, not to that extent. He's like completely crazy and insane, but he's very much, you know, uh, America first, and uh, he just there's something about him that you just don't trust. He 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 just seems a little too overzealous to to use his powers um, and to take that step beyond, you know. And when Captain America shows up at the end of the book, um, he even says something about this world just doesn't feel right, um, and he, he gets a chance to you know blade gets a chance to talk to him and and show him the way things are and whatnot so it's like hyperion is not necessarily the the bad guy of the book but the way he handles himself he's not there's no like self-sacrifice the guy is it's like his way or the highway you know and and okay great it's it's good that he's on the the side of supposedly on the side of america um does that mean, and you know, works closely with the government, but that we all know governments don't always make the right choices morally. Uh, so, if the government tells them to do something that's good for America but bad for the rest of the world, Hyperion, this version of Hyperion would totally do it. That's not necessarily heroic, you know what I mean? Um, and it, it there's an amazing scene at the very beginning, um, that I'm not going to spoil, uh, but it, it basically shows you the lengths to which Hyperion is willing to go. To protect america uh I and mean, he's willing to protect the world too but it's america first you know he protects the world because the world is america's part of the world so if there's some worldwide threat that's going to destroy america he's obviously going to save the world but if there were you know some kind of event that were threatening america and threatening another country he would 100 percent save america first and then maybe if he had time he might go help out the other country but only if he knew for sure America wasn't going to be uh, affected. So he's he's very much kind of overzealous and uh, you know the whole America first kind of thing. So it is it is interesting. but like I said, we're not getting any clues of why this world is the way it is. We're just getting sort of background and setup. Um, and that's true both in uh, the main series, which is basically Hyperion and then um, the first crossover, uh, or first tie-in, the Hyperion and Imperial Guard, which is sort of a flashback of Hyperion when he was uh, doing his training uh, and really learning how to use his powers. And he teamed up with the Imperial Guard and something horrific happens to them, which we see the events of that in the in the regular series. And then there's the, the Peter Parker book where, like I said, he doesn't become Amazing Spider-Man, uh, at least not in the way that you would expect. Um, And I mean, he's Peter Parker, so I guess he's destined to have tragedy sort of happen to him in his life. And, you know, this is no exception. Um, And I think Mark Bernardin does a good job of kind of giving us a new take on Peter Parker. He's He still has some heroism in him um, when the kind of when the going gets tough, if you will. Um, And he sort of ends up becoming Spider-Man, maybe, sort of, maybe. We're not sure. It's kind of left... Uh, to be determined, but I suppose we might see more of Peter Parker. It wouldn't surprise me um, to see more of Peter Parker later, but it is telling that it's called Peter Parker, the amazing shutterbug number one. Um, So he is still taking pictures for the daily bugle um, and that shutterbug name may, may be important. Um, So yeah, it's, it's interesting. The heroes reborn event. I'm not, I'm not sold yet. Because it's a lot of setup still, um, and it may be one of those situations where I can't say how good I, it really is until we find out like how, how this happened and how which who knows if if that's going to be we don't find out till the very end and it gets resolved or we're we gonna I mean who knows it is it, it is interesting it is a fresh take on the Marvel universe but like I said before we just got that with the Marvel Knights 20th anniversary series. Is this necessary? Is this a play on DC doing Future State? Like, eh, who knows? Um, I'll be curious to see the sales numbers on these, these books and and how they're doing. So uh, anyway, on to Jay's next book, it's Maniac of New York, number four, End of the Line. It's written by Elliot Kalin. Andrea Moody does art and colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. And man, this was one <laughs> One hell of an issue. Uh, what were your thoughts, Jay? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, I say I like the fight scene with the Hulk.
0: <laughs> yeah, the fight scene with the Hulk. Because
1: yeah. he kind of figures out something too. But uh, I like it because they usually do like a flashback to kind of give you more story of, uh, you know, of the characters in this. And they do that in the beginning with um, the with detective, uh, Gina, if I remember. Yeah, it was uh, Gina. And then from there, after the flashback, she goes back to where they're from the last episode where they're being in the train trying to get away from the uh, the maniac. There's a lot of uh, back and forth going on there. Um, th- it's just, I love the artwork on this. It just makes sense with the storyline they're trying to tell uh, the two main characters. They end up, uh, you know, doing what they have to do. Um, one was getting ready to, you know, to do the, you know, the, I guess, uh, give herself to protect everybody else, but it, didn't happen that way. Um, I don't know how they're going to tie it up. because There's so many loose ends right now because at the very end, you get more of a clue of, you know, what's going on from the last episode, like why he stopped at a certain spot in the station. So you kind of get that little hint there. Um, the detectives both make a choice to do something. They had an op, but decided to, you know, do something else with the, with their careers.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting thing, you know, they had a chance to like maybe yeah, walk yeah. away from it all,
1: but they don't. Yeah. It was just so weird. But uh yeah. Yeah.
0: they each have different reasons for doing that. And I, I thought this was a five issue, but maybe it's a six issue because I do agree with you. Like we finally get a hint of you know where the maniac may be coming from or why he is the way he is, how you know how how he has these powers or whatnot. Um but it's just a hint. And Can that could that all be resolved in one, in one more issue? I would think it would take more than one. But this continues to be a fast-paced, brutal, bloody book for sure. Yeah, because you
1: really can't uh, give away a lot of spoilers because there's just so much going on in the story. But the the ending, the picture kind of summed it up because it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense now the way that looks. Yeah, that item. You're like, okay. But yeah. yeah, this I like, I like this book a lot. So I was, that's where the first thing I read when I got the books. <laughs> I was looking yeah, for well, this the, one.
0: yeah. The other part of it is the first issue. It's so broad, you know, in terms of scope and story, it's, you know, this maniac and he's, he's menacing New York and he just, it's been going on so long and the people have just come to sort of accept it. And it's, you know, he's part of the weather and, and traffic and subway report and, You know, you just learn to live with it, and it's again, it seems so broad, such a broad story. And then right away, Elliot Kalin, he narrows it down and makes it personal by introducing us to uh, Gina and what's the other girls? Oh, Zelda. Yeah, Zelda. Um, By introducing us to them and their motivations, and them both, you know, they're like the only two that want to stop the maniac. Everybody else has kind of given up, so. Yeah it's, oh, yeah. it's interesting in that, in that way. So.
1: But you see how tough he is. And that's what I like about it. Is like, you see that you
0: really can't stop this oh, guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> brutal man. They're like, yeah, they're firing on him and he's just shrugging it off. Like no big deal. So. All right. Well, next book I'm going to talk about is uh, is also an aftershock book. It's number two of project patron greed and grievances from writer, Steve Orlando art is by Patrick Piazza colors by Carlos Lopez and letters by Hassan, Atman, Elhau. Um, we had Steve on to talk about this book. And Steve talked a lot to us about sort of the, uh, the emotion involved with all the people that are involved in, in the project. So uh, you know, now that the first issue is out. We're on to the second. I talk about kind of the, the basic premise of the book without it being spoiled so there's a hero he's basically superman he's called patron he died fighting his nemesis way back when sort of a an analog to superman fighting doomsday and dying um but then supposedly he he just like superman res, was resurrected supposedly patron came back well not really that's the secret that the government doesn't want you to know they brought him back by cloning him sort of they, they call him a, a reploid and basically what happens is these this secret group of of people that uh, are specially trained in different aspects um some for fighting some for psychological um and you know some for scientific purposes engineering that sort of thing they can go inside this this tank this immersion tank and sort of control the reploid like they're they're interfaced with it so somebody who's a really good fighter would will go and take control of the reploid and He'll fly out on the mission to go fight a supervillain or stop a natural disaster or whatever. If it's something that involves you know, a bank robber, it might be somebody else. If it's something where patron needs to go and be inspiring, it might be the site guy. If he's stopping a uh, you know, bridge from collapsing or whatever, it might be the engineer. So there's all these different team members that go. And, and when the patron is needed, depending on what the parameters of the mission are, different people go in. But the tradeoff is, first of all, you can't tell anybody about it because it has to be a secret. So you basically the 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 government like fakes your death. So even your family doesn't know you're still alive. And every time you you interface, you're losing some of your your lifespan, right? And that's how taxing it is to sort of interface with this reploid and to control it. And so at the end of uh the last issue, right at the end, the main guy, the guy who's been the linchpin, kind of think of him as like you know this really inspiring captain america type character that's the leader of uh, of this group of people that sort of pilot the patron he dies in the tank and yes he undertook more missions than anybody else but he should have still had years and years to go so he dies and what does that do to the team and there's the mystery of why he died so that's something that Steve didn't mention to us at all like he mentioned the psychological aspect of it he mentioned the the secrecy of it and he mentioned exploring the relationships between um this these team members and that being at the heart of the story but he didn't mention that there would be this mystery that the main guy died and what that does to the team and is there some like we get some hints in the second issue that there could be this um bad guys basically this this you know kind of an opposite side of the coin of this group that's gotten together T- for the good of mankind to run this project patron, there could be a bad, uh, you know, somebody who knows about project patron and is out there trying to kill these people, trying to not have patron around, um, you know, almost like, I don't know, like I-, I got a little bit of a Lex Luthor vibe from him, right? Like he knows the secret he's trying to stop it. So like that has like up the ante, this second issue has upped the ante, uh, of the story so much. Like I was already interested in just kind of the, the emotional and the psychological ramifications and the relationships of this team. But now on top of that, we've got this other plot about this, this guy who's who's runs this organization that is that, you know, first of all, how does he know about project patron? Was he involved in it Did he used to be on the team? Why is he out to get him? Like there's this extra layer that has all of a sudden upped the ante and, uh, I'm really, yeah, I'm I'm hooked on this book. It is it is absolutely fantastic. So really, really good. Uh, all right, up next, I'm gonna talk about uh, another Aftershock book. This is the the final issue of Scout's Honor. It's issue number five. It's from writer David Pipos. Art is by Luca Casalanguida. Colors are by Matt Miller and letters are by Carlos M. Uh, Manguel. Uh, I don't, you didn't get a chance to read a project patron, right, Jay? I think you're muted still. Project patron, did you read that one? No, I didn't read that no, one. But no. you did read this, right? Scouts. Oh on. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the final issue. Shepherds and switchblades. We saw at the end of last issue, Kit, who in previous issues had discovered kind of the the secret of the 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 scouts and or rangers, um, ranger scouts and. Has been sort of working to to stop them because they aren't who they sort of portray themselves to be, and we saw at the end of last issue she teams up with the highwaymen who are sort of the um, the enemies in this post apocalyptic world of the ranger scouts. And so, being that the the ranger scouts and the shepherd uh, who leads them were the cause of her father's death, um, she's out for revenge. She's out to she does stay true to herself in the end she wants the world to be a a better place and so everything that that has happened has all been leading to this this huge confrontation uh in this world and uh, this this book has been so tightly plotted and paced right from the start um and it's been incredible but i do if i had any wish it would be that um that david pepos could have said hey can i get 10 issues for this or eight issues because i think with a little more room to breathe he could have done gotten a chance to do some other cool things it's still a great story it stands on its own um it 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 makes for an incredible read i think reading it all in one sitting would be great but i i just think if you if you got to flesh it out with another issue or three um it would have been that much better um but i do like a a lot of what happens here and and just like a couple of the issues that Jay talked about, I, this issue—it's—and this has been kind of the case with uh, with Scouts Honor all along, and it's why uh, I wish that the story could have had a little more room to breathe. It's this is one of those books that's so hard to talk about without giving away any spoilers because every page is impactful, every page something really important happens, and again, it goes to that tight plotting and pacing. We can't talk, t- talk about any story beats because every story beat is so important. From Kit confronting the shepherd to what happens with the shepherd's son to what happens with the highwaymen, like all of it, it's it's all so impactful and so important. Um, it's been an incredible book. It's it's had really cool covers from Andy Clark the whole time. This one's no exception. Um, this is just a great great story. So if you haven't read any of it. I highly recommend this series. The trade should be out soon because this is the final issue. Um, or if you if you can, you could hunt down the individual issues. I think issue one might, may be pretty hard to find at this point. Um, but, yeah, I, this is a great series. And I, it's been getting a lot of critical acclaim. I've been seeing a lot of people talking about it. And uh, it's all well-deserved. So uh, anything you want to add, Jay?
1: No, I was just uh, amazed that they could wrap it up and – this last issue <laughs> but like I said there's so much going on you can't really you know talk about it You want to give away the story but just i'm impressed that he actually could do it i mean i wish he had more at least eight at least give me eight give me eight, yeah. you know but it's like ah uh, but it, it was just a good story and it's that is it's over but i mean i don't know if they'll do a second one but they got that little uh i guess from the uh, the writer at the very end saying you know thanks for you know for reading it and that's like well I, I guess that's it i guess he had no plans to do a second serious for this
0: yeah i mean the way it ends you could do a prequel the way it ends though i don't know that there's i mean you you could do a a sequel but obviously the dynamic would be you know completely different but you you definitely could do i mean it's a post-apocalyptic world so you know you could have kit out there you know fighting giant spiders or or whatnot or some kind of um new villain that, that comes along that could threaten uh the Rangers and, and whatnot, so the, I mean, there's possibilities there. Oh yeah, but
1: the covers were amazing. I, I give credit; the covers were phenomenal. That's what drew me to the what drew me to the first one was the cover. I was like, that's a pretty pretty awesome cover.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, next book I'm going to talk about Silver City Number One: The Arrival, from Olivia Cortero Briggs. Luca Merrily is art and colors. Dave Sharp does letters. We had Olivia on to talk about it, and you know, she obviously she didn't want to spoil anything when she was when she was here. Uh, we do know that. Basically, Silver City is, is the afterlife, and the afterlife is not what you expect. You got to get an apartment, you got to get a job. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a regular life, except you don't age, your body doesn't heal, so you got to make sure you take care of it. Um, and and there's more to what's going on in the story and more to Rue than uh, Olivia wanted to, to mention, obviously, when when we had her on. So I'm not going to spoil it here. But I will say that um, Rue's background in terms of her being adopted and being in the foster system and any trauma from from that is coloring her outlook of the way things are in Silver City because it's I mean despite the fact that it's the afterlife and you still have to do all these mundane things, it's also not the the best place because think about it, everybody's dead already. So in a way that there's no consequences, you know, there's not there's not a lot to lose. So people they don't. They're not exactly nice, you know. Uh, it's kind of, in a way, a little bit of survival of the fittest, or, you know, people that are that are strong just sort of take without uh, regard to who they're they're taking from. Um, but it's 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 fascinating. I'm I'm all in. It ends with a little bit of a, a cliffhanger where you really want to know more about Rue and um, how she might affect Silver City and, and what's going on. It's a very rich world. That Olivia has uh, has created, I definitely recommend. If anybody hasn't listened to um, our chat with her, to go back and listen to it, you get a lot more out of this issue. If you hear her uh, sort of talk about the world building and whatnot, the art is absolutely spectacular. Like from the preview pages, I thought, oh, this this art looks pretty good. Um, It's stunningly good. It's this is one of the best looking books of the week. Um, You know, Olivia was was telling me how pleased she was with the art that Luca was turning in. And from the preview pages, like I said, I could see what she was talking about, but I, I still was blown away. Um, and, and we talked a lot, Olivia and I talked a lot about Luca doing the line work and the color. Um, but again, even even with what she was telling me about the color work, I didn't expect it to be this good. The, the palette is muted, which you know suits the story very well. Uh, in terms of this being the afterlife and sort of cynical and, and depressing place. Uh, but he does make it bright in places where it, it needs to be, but bright without making it seem happy. It still seems like a rundown sort of cynical place. The gray Paul, he puts over everything when we get the outside scenes, um, the detail in the, in the cityscapes. I mean, it, this is just a gorgeous book little details that add a little emotion and nuance to the story like oh my god it's the art is so good in this book so um this is my book of the week like it it, that's how good it is it's it's really good don't sleep on it silver city number one tons of great books out this week but this is one that i think everybody should should be checking out so last book i'm going to mention just real briefly. It's uh, Star Wars number 13, War of the Bounty Hunters, uh, Prelude, The Hunt for Han Solo, uh, written by Charles Soule, Ramon Rosanis on art, Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Um, I can't say much about it other than I love the feel and how it ties in and feels so much a part of the Star Wars universe, specifically between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Unfortunately, the, the preview that Marvel gave us for whatever reason, only has the first seven pages of the issue. So I can't really say anything more than, than that. You know, it it ties into those movies, right? Like Han Solo has been taken by Boba Fett and this whole war of the bounty hunter story is the story of from the time Boba Fett left cloud city until uh, he arrives at Jabba's palace to deliver um, Han Solo encased in carbonite and things don't exactly go well. Uh, we're still going to be doing our in-depth Friday spotlights, just like we did with the the War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha, where we get into spoilers and we talk in detail about what's going on. Um, obviously, well, I'm I'm buying the book so I'll have to wait till I actually get my copy so then I can get a, a preview copy that had the whole thing in it. But just if you want to know more about the story, just tune in or, or listen in on Friday. And you'll hear more uh, about it. But I mentioned in our, our first episode, first spotlight episode, about how you could Marvel could have chose to call this Boba Fett Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Because that's how things, w- with the way the alpha issue goes, it seems like that's the way things are going to go for Boba Fett. Nothing's simple. Nothing's easy. Every time he tries to do something, there's another obstacle um, Hopefully John Candy doesn't show up or or maybe he does. And that would be uh, amazing as well. Boba Fett and John Candy together again. Um, But again, the the seven pages we got show us how much Charles Soule loves Star Wars, how much he understands the universe. And just like he did with uh, War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha, he gets the tone in Star Wars 13, pitch perfect, where it feels like exactly the tone and the mood and the characterization of those beloved characters in those movies you know at the end of empire strikes back it feels very much like that so you know it's no spoiler to say um it's it's uh luke and han and lando hunting for um hunting for han solo we know in in where the bounty hunters alpha that boba fett was on the smuggler's moon and so You know, when word gets back to Luke and Chewie, hey, Smuggler's Moon, that's where they're going to go. So I don't know if the rest of the issue, they actually go there or not. Um, But if uh, if you tune in on Friday or listen in to Friday's episode, we'll have the answer to that for you, because I'll have read the whole issue by then instead of only the first uh, seven pages. So, uh, again, tons of great books this week. Uh, Do you have uh, one that stood out more than the others for you? Jay, you have a book of the week?
1: Oh, so there's a lot, but because I like Maniac in New York, I like Geiger. Silver Coin was good, Um, but I'm gonna go with Sky's Honor because we probably won't see that anymore. So it left on a high note. So I I give the writer, the artist, the colorist—you know—props. That was a great, uh, great story.
0: Good pick, man. Good pick. I I probably would have picked that if not Silver City, because you're right. I mean, that series all along has been so fantastic and so tightly paced and plotted um yeah i'm sure (laughs) if david pepos listens to this he'll probably be nodding his head along with us we're saying yeah a couple more issues he probably would have been like yeah i would have loved to have a couple more issues because clearly he uh based on how much story was packed into those five issues he could have given us uh, more so uh well let me give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for uh we covered all the aftershock books maniac of new york uh, project patron scouts honor and silver city number one um so uh, Aftershock has been killing it, man. Uh, really impressed with what they've been doing. Over at Boom, Magic the Gathering. Uh, it's actually called Magic, number two. Uh, first issue was a really hot book, so that's out today. Mighty Morphin, number seven, the Power Rangers book written by Ryan Parrott is out. Uh, we've got uh, The Return of Seven Secrets. That's uh, Tom Taylor's book with art by Danielle DeNiculo. Uh Over at DC, American Vampire 1976, number eight of ten. Uh, as we're heading down to the end of that series. For some reason, I thought number eight was the last book. Um, I'm trying, I just started reading the very first American Vampire series, hoping I can get it read in time for number 10 of 10 and read that as it comes out and and talk about how that series ends up. Uh, Batman the Detective, number two of six is out. Batman Urban Legends, number three. DC Festival of Heroes, the Asian Superhero Celebration, one shot. Uh, If we... If we covered DC books, I probably would have co- called that my book of the week. That was fantastic celebration of Asian heroes. I've I had forgotten just how many Asian heroes there were in the DC universe, and it's so great to see them. And not only are we getting to see the the awesome breadth of uh, Asian heroes, Asian create this is by Asian creators. So many great Asian creators working in comics now, like names that you know: Mariko Tamaki, Greg Pak, uh, Jim Chung, Bernard Chang, like. It, it was awesome. It, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was fantastic. And it's 100 pages. So I do recommend that. Uh, Future State Gotham, number one, is also out, as well as Joker, number three, which they should call Jim Gordon, which is really, really awesome. Uh, Justice League Last Ride, number one. If you want Chip Zdarsky's take on the Justice League, that was great. Rorschach, number eight, also very good from Tom King. Uh, Superman, number 31, which has the most important words that John Kent has ever uttered in a comic. So if you're curious what those words are, go check out Superman number 31 or go listen to our spoiler-filled DC Spotlight episode. Uh, Wonder Woman number 772 from Becky Cloonan and uh, Michael W. Conrad continues to be really, really good. Uh, Over at IDW, I've been reading Canto every week when it came, came out. I just ran out of time. It's the one book that I wanted to read this week that I didn't get a chance to check out. But it's the second issue of what I think is the final uh, Canto story. It's Canto in the City of Giants, number two of three. So hopefully I get time to read that tomorrow. Also, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, number 281 from Larry Hama. Uh, over at Image, Geiger, number two, we talked about. Uh, Ice Cream Man, number 24, we talked about. We've also got a second printing of Home, number one, which was a pretty interesting start. Um, if, uh, if anybody's curious, it's basically a story about some immigrants who try to enter the United States um, illegally, and they get detained, and, uh, you know, all the horrible stuff that, that has happened to those people in real life, um, but one of the young children that's separated from his family at the end of the issue manifests some powers, so maybe he's not quite as helpless, um, and they're going to regret, uh, you know, kind of the abuse that they they gave him, so that's pretty interesting. And in the fact that it sold out, I was I was both surprised and pleased by that. There's also a second printing over at Marvel of Beta Ray Bill number one from Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, we talked about Black Cat. We talked about Children of the Atom. Uh, Conan the Barbarian number 21 from Jim Zub. Uh, we talked about Fantastic Four. We talked about Giant Size uh, Spider-Man. We talked about all the Heroes Reborn books. Silk number three of five is, uh, is also out from, uh, from Marvel. Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow, number two of four. I I think that's by Chip Zdarsky. I read the first issue, and I just really didn't like it. It didn't. The characterization didn't feel like um, like Peter Parker at all to me. So I, I kind of noped out of that. But it is Chip Zdarsky and Pasqu- Pasquale Perry. Um, also, X Corp. Number one uh, from Marvel. That's another one that I read. Really, really interesting take, kind of on the, the business side of what Marvel's or what the X-Men are, are doing with the pharmaceuticals and the drugs that they're producing for the world and um, kind of the cutthroat world of, of business. It was a really, really great read. Uh, X-Factor number nine. I think that series is getting ready to wind down um, by uh, Leah Williams is also out from Scout Comics, Black Cotton number two of six is out. The first issue went to like three or four printings. It was super popular. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, And finally, from Valiant, we have Savage uh, number four. I can't believe issue four of that is out already. Read the first issue, didn't really care for it that much, um, especially when compared to the old school Savage from Valiant, which was really high quality. So I kind of noped out of that. Uh, But it's out there for any of you uh, Valiant fans. So a lot of great books, like I said. Um, I would say definitely pick up DC Festival of Heroes. If you're hitting your comic shop today, check out Silver City number one just pick it up and thumb through the art and tell me that you don't want to buy the book. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, scouts honor, like Jay said, uh, what an incredible end to that series. Um, David Peppos and, uh, and, and crew did an incredible job. Um, yeah, I just, I'm stunned by how, by how good. And, and we, we didn't talk much, particularly in this issue about the art by Luca Casa but, uh, the, the art throughout has been tone perfect for the story they're telling um, almost a little bit of like crime to war slash post-apocalyptic um, with a lot of heavy shadow and whatnot that has given a lot of weight to the art which suits the kind of the uh, impact of the story you know how life and death things have been out there in the the wastelands in the in the land of the ranger scouts so really, really great books this week. Um, Yeah. One of those weeks where you're just like, God, so much good stuff, what to read first. I'm happy that I, you know, read and collect comics hours of uh, enjoyment this week to be had for sure. So uh, anything else to add Jay?
1: Oh, no, it it was a lot of read, but I enjoyed all of
0: it. Yep. Fantastic. So yeah. And I still got Canto uh, to go and a couple of these I'll probably revisit because I didn't get to uh, ruminate on them maybe as long as I would have. Uh, cause I had to get them read, to, to, to talk about them. So, uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, as always, we want to thank you for, uh, for joining us and for listening and for all your support and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us.